all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. Sorry, I sounded a little aggressive there for for the intro. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I'm just feeling aggressive. I'm a pathologist. And I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, who is an OBGYN and specialist in maternal fetal medicine. That's high-risk obstetrics. And we are talking today about diabetes. The sugar diabetes. The sugar, that's right. The sugar. That's right. It is something that greatly affects our uh, citizens of Mississippi. And so it's something that we definitely need to talk about. Yes. Um, One of the uh, statistics we often hear is about uh, the uh, epidemic of obesity that occurs Mm -hmm. in the state of Mississippi, which certainly goes hand in hand with the high incidence of diabetes. So let's talk today about how to know if you're at risk for developing diabetes, how to decrease that risk. And if you have diabetes, let's talk about things that you can do to live a healthier life. I also want to go ahead and say happy Veterans Day out there to all of our veterans. And thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. My, I'll give a shout out to my favorite veteran, my father, Robert Shea, Aww. Colonel Robert Shea. Many years, more probably than I've been alive uh, in the United States Army, both active duty and reserve. So and happy I, Veterans Day to yeah, my Yeah, and, and, you know, we're a military family, too, um, with, uh, you know, with representation from the Navy. My, um, and then I also, you know, have family members who are Army folks and Air Force folks. So um, a lot of people um, in my family who have also made that sacrifice. And we do not. So first of all, as a person who enjoys um, the freedoms that um, our veterans have fought to preserve and protect. Um, I like really approach this day with great gratitude um, and am just so so grateful for for where for the country that we live in. Um, and 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 while it is while it is not perfect, um, it is so wonderful, and we enjoy so many freedoms and there's so many things that I think we you know, are even challenged to not take for granted um, because of of where we live. Um, and I think sometimes, especially in this day and time, when we think so much about the things that um, that might be wrong or when we focus on those things that are imperfections, I think sometimes we just have to take a moment and step back and recognize that our freedom um, has not been free 
and it was definitely paid for with a price, and that price has been the sacrifice of a lot of um, servicemen and women. And so just thank you. Thank you so much. Hats off to all of you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. So we will change gears now and talk about diabetes. Dr. Owens, I know you see a lot of patients with diabetes. Uh, Of course, most of the patients you see are pregnant, and there are uh, patients who may have had diabetes prior to being pregnant, and then patients who may develop it during pregnancy, you know, so-called gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we have folks in the listening audience who uh, know someone or uh, perhaps were afflicted personally by gestational diabetes. So could you talk a little bit about, uh, in your practice, um, patients who develop gestational diabetes, what significance that has to them with regard to uh, having diabetes when they're not pregnant? Um, So so it's interesting. So gestational diabetes are are, um, diabetes that that is diagnosed um, during pregnancy. Um, is actually a, a pretty common pregnancy complication, one of the more common pregnancy complications. Um, the the interesting thing about um, gestational diabetes, and, and we usually screen for that between the 24th and 28th week of pregnancy. Most practices do universal screening. Um, there is a way that you could be screened based on risk factors, and if you don't have any risk factors, then you wouldn't have to be screened for gestational diabetes. But, um, but most practices do universal screening, so most of you guys out there know that as the infamous sugar test when you come in and have to drink that really, really sweet drink. Um, and so the way that it's diagnosed in 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 our country is um, typically by a two-step process. So you take that first sugar test, which is a screening test. And so that screening test doesn't really tell you yes or no, but it tells you kind of who the people are that need to actually go on to diagnostic testing. And so if you fail that first sugar test or if your glucose is is over the threshold in that first sugar test, then you take another sugar test. Yay, no good deed goes unpunished. Um, So you take another sugar test. And then you check that that test actually is a three hour test. The first test is a one hour test. The next test is a three hour test. Um, And if you have two or more values that are abnormal in that test, then that means that you have gestational diabetes. Um, Occasionally, though, if you do the one hour test and your numbers are high enough, you get the prize. So if you have a a one hour test of 200 or greater, then um, we give you the the title of gestational diabetic and start you on the process of checking your glucoses, diet, exercise, and possibly medical therapy. Um, But gestational diabetes is important. It is it usually so good news it usually goes away so if you are a person who's been diagnosed with um, gestational diabetes um, overwhelmingly the majority of those people will have resolution of their diabetic state once their pregnancy ends so within that first six to 12 weeks postpartum your your diabetes will go away however there's a small subset of people out there for whom it will not go away Um, And so it's really important if you've been diagnosed with diabetes in pregnancy, if that is the time of diagnosis, that you have that test at the 6 to 12-week mark to be able to determine whether or not your diabetes has gone away, you've had a return to normal blood sugar uh, levels. If you have not, then you now know and um, will need to be managed accordingly. And then for those people for whom it does go away, that still increases your risk for developing diabetes in your lifetime. 
And so roughly about 50% or so of people who have gestational diabetes will eventually become diabetic. So even if it goes away, it might come back. Um, if you have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, we recommend that those people kind of have routine surveillance with a primary care doctor checking to make sure that they uh, don't develop overt diabetes. Um, and then if you've had it in pregnancy and you get pregnant in subsequent pregnancy, roughly about two-thirds of those folks will have um, gestational diabetes in a subsequent pregnancy. So um, it has some pretty interesting implications, you know, for your overall risk for diabetes in your lifetime. Um, and we're learning a lot about pregnancy and pregnancy complications to the point that we are knowing now that um, that pregnancy, a lot of times the, the complications that may come forth in pregnancy kind of are a window to your future health. So women who have high blood pressure problems in pregnancy or preeclampsia, we know that that puts them at an increased risk for developing hypertension and cardiovascular disease in the future. For people who have diabetes in pregnancy, we know that, that increases your risk for having diabetes in the future. And so I think it's really an exciting time when we're looking at pregnancy and pregnancy complications because it helps us to figure out, you know, what things we need to be looking for and what the implications of the changes of pregnancy actually have on your overall life and well-being it's like a crystal ball it is kind of pregnancy is so interesting i have to say well thank you i think so too (laughs) having done it twice personally (laughs) you know just the of course the obvious physical changes are there right i mean you grow and there's a person inside of you but you know the endocrine or like the hormonal um effects uh, are really so vast and and i think there's so much more to be understood about that right absolutely and it's it's like I mean, and I know it sounds a little crazy, um, but I, the the whole concept of pregnancy and that process is just absolutely fascinating, and it's such an elegant display of like, you know, the whole concept of how we are divinely designed. I think it's just like it is awesome when you think about it how the whole process comes together for you to be able to to grow a person, mm-hmm. and then for that person to then get out of your body <laughs> which is usually very welcome toward the yes. end and then please but, leave and then the other part is like just the interplay like how your body changes and adapts and then when that happens how your body continues to change to be able to support that new human being it's just fascinating and it just shows you how amazing like every single one of you whether you are a person who's able to give birth or not should like pat yourselves on the back because your body's really an amazing thing and like it shows up and I think you know Tara said this before when we were talking about the yoga show but like it shows up for us you know to do these really amazing things and many of us take those things for granted and there are some people who might have different physical ailments that make them even more mindful or intentional about the gift of having, you know, the ability to move or having a healthy body. But it is just, it's really amazing sometimes. If you just stop and think about all the things that that we're able to do, even when we think about things we can't do, it's still really, like, I'm all overwhelmed. That's like the biology nerd in me just goes crazy. Well, I think a lot of us who go into medicine are kind of nerds about that, right? Just to see the beauty of the interplay of all the organs. Like, people say, ooh, doing autopsies, being a pathologist, that's gross. Actually, it's quite beautiful, I mean, to see just how interesting and and miraculous kind of as you spoke about like the development of being a human and all the things that can go wrong and how precious everything is anyway we were getting very philosophical it helps you just i mean but in it and it's like those kinds of things to me really emphasize how how similar we all are Mm -hmm. you know like at our fundamental core 
like how similar we are. We spend so much time focusing on the things that divide us. Um, and like when you can see something like that happen, um, when you focus just on, on like the human body mm-hmm. and that kind of, it just shows you it like fundamentally at our core, how similar we really all are. Mm, that's a yeah. fact. That's a fact. So we are talking about diabetes, type one, type two, and everything in between. Yeah, that's right. So let's break it down and kind of in the simplest of terms, talk about what, what diabetes is, right? Mm-hmm. It is the elevation of sugar in your blood, or we measure it as glucose, glucose, which is caused either by or in combination of a resistance of your body to the hormone insulin, which is something that is released by your pancreas. The pancreas, <laughs> the beta cells of the pancreas. That's right. And the pancreas monitors, the pancreas knows, it monitors the sugar in your blood and releases insulin in response. And when insulin is appropriately acted upon by the cells in your body, the cells take the sugar or the glucose into yeah. the cells mm-hmm. and store it for use later. And that then turn lowers your calculated blood sugar because the sugar in your blood is now going into the places That's where right. it's needed. It's cool. We talked about all this so, miraculous yeah. wonderfonness. Yeah, so the so, different types of diabetes. Well, either you, if you have diabetes, either there's an issue where you're not producing enough insulin Correct. or your cells are resistant to that insulin. So even though the signal's being put out there by the pancreas, they're not responding to it. And the blood is staying with, uh, the sugar staying within your blood. So it's kind of like you either, the way that I, I distill it down is it's either a problem where you don't have enough or you can't effectively use what you have. So you end up with more production like you have more of it hanging around because you can't use what's there you're it's harder for the cells to use the insulin that's there which was what we call insulin resistance and that's really the difference between type 1 diabetes which is the the issue of not having enough insulin um, versus type 2 diabetes which is thought of as insulin resistance now some of you might say oh I thought it was juvenile onset you know, versus or and then was the insulin dependent diabetics versus non insulin dependent diabetics, mm-hmm. um, and so all of those terminologies are terminologies that have been. It can be confusing. Been, yeah. it, it can be. The, those are all terminologies that have been used, um, but I think now we kind of have stuck with the the nomenclature of type one versus type two. Um, because it it is a little less confusing, mm-hmm. and I think for those of you who want to know the difference between them, just remember type one is when you just. I always think type one rhymes with none. You don't have any insulin. Ain't got none. <laughs> so when you have a problem with insulin being available, no insulin at all, um, then that's type one diabetes. Those people actually are also considered insulin sensitive because they don't have a whole lot of it floating around. So when you put it in there, they're Their cells take that stuff right up. Hey, we needed this. Thank you. Um, But for those that are insulin resistant or type 2, those individuals, you need more and more and more to get the job done. Yeah. It takes more and more insulin to get the job done. And historically, as a a generalization, those type 1 or those insulin-dependent people with insulin-dependent diabetes tended to present earlier, like in childhood or young adulthood. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing, of course, in more recent years is the increase in young people, even children, having that type 2 diabetes. Right. And what is the mm -hmm. culprit? Obesity. It is obesity. Yeah. So as, as, you know, we talk about the uh, obesity epidemic. Um, but it's not just among adults. Um, it is also among among children. And so as we've seen, 
you know, rates of, you know, 33% for childhood overweight or obese. Um, As childhood obesity rates have increased, we've also seen concomitant increases in medical complications that are associated with obesity. So it's not really a shocker. It's kind of like they go together. Um, But as childhood obesity rates have increased, we are now seeing, you know, more type 2 diabetics. It used to be if you had a a young kid who Mm -hmm. was who had diabetes, um, those people are almost always type 1s. And now that we've had more and more obesity, we're starting to see more and more type 2 diabetics within that uh, younger population. So, um, you know, it's, it's, not just, it's not just propaganda, um, but it's really important when we think about healthy lifestyles, um, the importance of having kids to get away from the screen and to get out and be active because physical activity helps to improve glucose control um, and diet and exercise are kind of the staples for all the medical complications, hypertension, diet and exercise, diabetes, diet and exercise. So um, if you get kids moving, um, that will definitely help. It helps overall for like it helps to fight obesity but it also helps to uh, decrease your risk for diabetes. And in some instances, it will help improve your glycemic control. If you are a diabetic and you are an active diabetic, you tend to have better glycemic control than the folks who are sedentary diabetics. Let's take a minute to talk about pre-diabetes. So we always talk about how better to catch things early on, right? You're going to have, whether it's cancer or diabetes or high blood pressure, you know, getting appropriate screening and just being conscious and aware of your body uh, is very important because it's best to tackle these issues head on at the earliest stage possible. The issue with uh, pre-diabetes is that most people feel okay when they have pre-diabetes. Same thing with pre-hypertension, right? I Mm -hmm. mean tends to not make you feel bad so you kind of don't recognize maybe that's something going on you don't prioritize it we're all super busy thinking about other things but some possible uh, early signs and symptoms of diabetes or pre-diabetes are increased thirst so you're feeling like you are thirstier than usual frequent urination freak which then that leads to <laughs> what what goes in must come out Indeed. more frequently frequent having urination. to use the bathroom mm-hmm. urinate um, increased hunger so you can actually just, if you've just noticed that over time you're feeling more and more hungry. Uh, fatigue. Another thing is blurry vision. You can have numbness and tingling in your hands and feet. Uh, more frequent infections. If you notice you're getting mm-hmm. maybe more UTIs than you used to. Or, or... hey, one of the things, yeast infections mm-hmm. in, in, in the lady population. and Or thrush. Mm-hmm. In your or oral thrush. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another thing. So that's something that you might see more frequently as well. And then weight loss. Um, because when that sugar builds up in your blood, it spills over into your kidney. And that's what causes the thirst and the frequent urination mm-hmm. or certainly doesn't help it. Um, so... Those are some possible signs and symptoms, but commonly, or probably even more commonly, folks with prediabetes or uh, people at risk for diabetes don't have any of those. And so it's just really important to look at risk factors to understand if you have a family history of diabetes, that oh, makes yeah. a significant impact. If you've That's had gestational diabetes, like mm-hmm. Dr. Owens talked about. So a first degree relative with diabetes, so a sibling, a parent child potentially uh that's a very high risk fact that definitely increases your risk for for developing diabetes so it's something significant to keep in mind yeah look and just to kind of i go back um and give people some you know some of the numbers because i think it's really important to know how how 
how widespread this is. Like this is it's it's not a small problem. There are over 37 million adults that have diabetes, um, and the interesting thing is, a third of those people don't even know they have it. A third of those people don't know they have it, um, and a lot of times it takes a a very critical experience for people to recognize that they have diabetes. It's usually whether it's uh, what we call diabetic ketoacidosis um, or they have some major um, some major situation occur that takes them to the hospital or to the emergency room or they might even end up in the intensive care unit um, and they find out that their blood sugars are five or 600 or sometimes even more than that. Um, so it's really important for you to kind of know your risk. If you are a person who's at high risk, make sure that you are getting appropriate monitoring and screening um, so that if you do become diabetic, or at least if you even become pre-diabetic, that you have somebody who's working with you, a healthcare partner, to work with you to kind of help make sure that you are managing um, that process as as best as you can in order to um, to reduce your risk. Um, the in- another thing about diabetes, so we talk about how common it is, it also contributes a lot to mortality. So it is also the seventh leading cause of death in the United States. That's a big deal. Very seven. Big deal. Mm-hmm. Number seven. I thought that was kind of huge. Um, well, and it influences lots of other diseases. So it compounds cardiovascular disease, kidney you know, heart disease, disease whoops, the kidneys, strokes, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's lots a, of other things. An unhealthy environment for your blood vessels to be subjected to and your nerves. They're very mm-hmm. sensitive um, to these persistent, elevated blood levels of glucose and over time damage is done that damage is being done yeah. while you're feeling fine yeah um so really it's very important to be able to know that you have this condition you know which means getting screened and then to make the modifications necessary to decrease your blood sugar and even for those women i'm glad you mentioned that because even for those people who are um who are reproductive age this is another thing that's really important because you know, we always say the best way to have a healthy baby is to have a healthy mom. And we know that moms are healthier if they have chronic medical illnesses that are, A, diagnosed before pregnancy and, two controlled before pregnancy. So the level of control that you have um, immediately preceding pregnancy, if you're planning your pregnancy, you want to be the healthiest you going into that process. And so for women who have poorly controlled diabetes who then become pregnant, as we talked about, those high blood sugar levels um, are they are unhealthy to blood vessels, to nerves, but they also can be teratogens or create birth defects in in babies that are forming. So as that embryo is developing, it is also very sensitive to glucose exposure. And to a developing embryo, high glucose levels can be teratogenic, which is why we see elevated risks of birth defects in people who have diabetes. So if you are a pregnant person who has diabetes, especially if you have high um, blood sugar levels during that first trimester, it increases your risk for fetal malformations or birth defects. We're going to go to the phone lines and talk to Andrea, who's calling us from Memphis. Hey, Andrea. Hey, um, so I have a question. So I had my fasting blood work done, and my insulin was low, and my glucose was high. And then I waited two months and had it done again, and my glucose was fine, but my insulin is still low. Is that 
could that be pre-diabetes? So, uh, Speaking from a standpoint of making a diagnosis from laboratory values, that diagnosis is made from your fasting glucose levels or another level called hemoglobin A1C. That diagnosis is not made by the levels of insulin. Insulin levels fluctuate Mm -hmm. uh, depending on what you've eaten, when you've eaten, what time of day it is. So I'm not aware of the utility of point checks of insulin and how that would affect any diagnosis of diabetes. So, I think that would kind of be okay. more, yeah, it may be more related to um, as you're drawing, there may be something in particular that your um, provider was looking for if they got an insulin level with your glucose. It may be something that they were specifically looking for. Um, and I think sometimes we see that when people are being evaluated more for hypoglycemia than uh, hyper, but um it's not okay. common. Yeah, it's not common that you would get an insulin level along with your glucose if they were specifically just looking for um, something that would meet the diagnostic criteria for diabetes. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. No, absolutely. Thanks for your call. This has been uh-huh. Bye-bye. Thanks for your question. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're here to take your questions and comments on Southern Remedy for Women. Today we're talking about diabetes on MPB Think Radio. to Thanksgiving, driving to the game, or on a big shopping trip, listen to MPB Think Radio all over the state. Get your national and Mississippi news from MPB. Hear our eclectic music programs. Ask advice from experts on our local shows. Whether you're on I-55, 20, or 10, in the Delta, the Golden Triangle, or on the coast, MPB Think Radio rides with you. I'm Robin Young. We're continuing to follow the fallout from the midterm elections. How are voters feeling? Was this election another fail for pollsters? Did young voters have a huge impact on this outcome? Yes. And what about all those GOP poll watchers? The latest from the midterms next time here and now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio, whatever your taste, news, music, storytelling, or how-to shows. Whatever your city, Natchez, Jackson, Tupelo, Cleveland. However you want, radio, smart speaker, smartphone app. MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. 
This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email remedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio on this beautiful Veterans Day with dramatic music, courtesy of St. Elsewhere. Today... We do not own the rights to this music. (laughs) I hope we do. But uh, I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I'm a pathologist. I'm here today with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, who is an OBGYN, and we are talking about diabetes... Diabetes. Diabetes. Or some people say diabetes, like Wilford Brimley says in those commercials. It can be whatever. You can call it whatever you want. Mm-hmm. All right. We're or going to diabetes. <laughs> that was good. That's very good. I feel like Wilford is right here with us. We're going to go straight to the phone lines and talk to Rebecca, who's calling us from Fulton. Hey, Rebecca. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Veterans Day to y'all. Happy Veterans Day to you, too. Thank you. On because I'm like, um, I, I love listening to Deep South Dining and and you know they talk about I mean they talk about all kinds of stuff for Thanksgiving and I'm trying to prepare for Thanksgiving and I just got to thinking about this and I'm like okay what kind of things can can I fix for Thanksgiving that are you know that would be you know healthier you know like. I don't know. Maybe uh, I know that the Mediterranean diet is, you know, really recommended and that sort of thing. But, but like a green bean casserole, you know, you've got all that. You've got the healing thing. There's mm-hmm. just a lot of stuff there that that's uh, that's fatty. And I'm I'm just wondering if there if you can recommend anything if you can think of anything that that might be a better better dishes to prepare that you know would be good but sure. wouldn't necessarily be. Well, thankfully, you know, we don't eat every day like we eat on Thanksgiving Day. So that's one thing, right? So to keep in mind. But, you know, you can treat Thanksgiving as if like going out to eat, right? Because people who have diabetes also like to go out to restaurants, but they tend to have richer food and things like that. So there are some skills that people with diabetes learn to plan ahead and to think about what are some healthier options. So, you know, if you're going to make your turkey, you know, of course, hopefully... You don't have to fry it or have breading on it. You know, any sort of broiled, roasted, grilled, or steamed food, whether it's meats or vegetables. Um, using whole grain bread or pasta instead of white. Brown rice instead of white rice. Not eating the skin of the turkey. Yeah, and the other, I think the other piece is, um, you know, the other thing that we love, well, I'll say me. The other thing that I love about Thanksgiving a lot of times are the desserts. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, and some people believe that diabetes is all about an avoidance of sugar. And it's while, while yes, you, you know, do need to be mindful about the sugars that you take in. Like you need to be mindful about your carbs and limiting carbohydrates in general. And so when we think about what is at least in this country, the stereotypical Thanksgiving dinners, they usually have are very starch heavy, um, which starches are carbs, 
Um, and so, like, um, like Allie said, you can, you can switch to make the lesser of the evils, right? So if you're doing whole wheat pasta instead of white pasta, but you need to know that pastas and rices and those things are going to be more carby. Um, potatoes. I mean, it's it's all the good things and like rolls and breads and all of the different well, let's types. Let's talk of about drinks. The sweet tea. If you're going to have oh. a glass of wine, you just really have to exercise moderation and think mm-hmm. about where you're going to spend those calories and those sugars. But I think um, being creative with um, nice, colorful um, vegetables is uh, is one good way roasting vegetables and those kinds of things and you're right um we, especially in the south we do we do food really really well i mean we we do food really well and so we will take something that might be really healthy and then we will slather it with butter and lard and Ugh. and sugar and all the other creamy goodness lard. um and and while it may taste very good um, we will like just totally diminish all the nutritional value in the food um, by a lot of the different things that we add to it. So just being mindful and moderation when it comes to those things. There are substitutions that you can put in um, just about anything nowadays. So if you are, you know, like some people use in baking, they'll use applesauce in place of um in place of certain things as a substitution in order for it to be healthier or less fatty. So I think looking at those um, and making modifications um, and and going a little light on the, the sugar and butter things will also be things that are helpful, especially if you have a person who's diabetic. Um, but again, um, moderation and, you know, you can indulge, but you just may need to, like, limit portion sizes and those kinds of yeah. things. But, again, focusing on those those complex carbohydrates or the overly starchy foods are probably going to be the way that you get the most bang for your buck. And here's something else. Instead of or in addition to sitting on the sofa and watching football, go for a walk. Get some activity in. Start a new tradition where everyone maybe goes outside for a little while and tosses the football or goes for a walk on Thanksgiving. It's great to incorporate that as well. Yeah, we make jokes. When you eat a piece of cake, we're like, now we got to go run around the house three times. (laughs) (laughs) But it makes a difference, right? (laughs) Right. If we eat that extra piece of cake, we got to go run around the house three times. So, yeah. Actually, my nephew wanted an extra piece of cake, and he was young and hyperactive. They made him run five times. <laughs> yes. See, your family and my family might be the same there. Then, since they've got the run, you got to run if you eat, eat when you run. But thanks for that it. question, Rebecca. Very timely Absolutely. and uh, very relevant to the discussion today. Thanks for your call and enjoy your Thanksgiving. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Bye. So, um, let's maybe talk about some risk factors for the development of diabetes. We talked about some, we talked about obesity. We talked about gestational diabetes. We talked about family history. Yes. Diabetes is more common in people over the age of 45. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen younger. As we talked about, there's an increase in incidence in younger folks, including children, but in general, increasing age increases your risk for developing diabetes. And in fact, screening for diabetes should occur at least by age 45. So when you're going to the doctor, either having a fasting um, blood sugar, uh, and again, fasting, so not eating for at least eight hours before, if you've eaten, kind of the result is not 
reliable, or measuring that other indicator called hemoglobin A1C, which is hemoglobin is a protein in the blood that it participates in exchanging oxygen, right? So it's delivering the oxygen that you breathe in throughout your entire body. I love the way you said that, delivering the oxygen. oxygen. I could just, like, it was so airy the way you said Thanks. that. Thanks. Oh, I've been rehearsing that. I and then that. Uh, it can get, if, if, there, if, if that hemoglobin protein is exposed to elevated blood sugar uh, for a prolonged period of time, it actually gets what we call glycosylated, like the sugar kind of attaches that itself to so it. That's so fancy. Oh, well, we fancy here. We fancy here. Anyway. So those are the tests, but oh. there are other, th- oh, ma'am. And other risk factors. Yes. So, so there, so there appears that we talked about family history, but there's also like certain, certain groups in which, um, diabetes is. Which like groups are our, those, Dr. Owen? So, well, first in our indigenous populations, mm-hmm. it tends to, the, the risk for diabetes is higher. Um, yeah, we don't know why certain races and ethnicities mm-hmm. have a higher um, risk of developing diabetes, but absolutely. they certainly do. African-American population, a- absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Hispanic uh, folks, Latinx mm-hmm. people. Yep. And some of the Pacific Islanders, too. It's and then some Asian populations. Uh-huh. It's a yep. thing. So Are know your risk. risk. Know your risk. And here's the thing that's really interesting. You just to, one thing? Just one thing. Okay. Actually, there are lots of things, but we're talking about this one thing. There are some low-risk groups who, if you take those folks that are in low-risk groups, say, for example, um, Japanese people, and then you bring them to the United States, then you all of a give sudden, them a generation, though. all of a sudden their <laughs> risk goes up too. Like it, it, it's it's like where you kind of regress to the mean, basically. Like so, if yeah. it's if it, if the risk is higher here, they come here and and with you know incorporation into the culture and adoption of like the the same way of life or societal um, norms, then their risks also start increasing, which is really we do love our country, but watch out. Yeah, you just got to look again. <laughs> just just the influence, the influence you is gotta, around you. You got to know about it. Another thing that's very gynecology-ish for you. This is for you, Peace polycystic ovary disease. I knew you were going to yeah. say it when you said gynecology-ish. I was like, oh, here it comes. Well, polycystic are, we ovarian syndrome. We have a lot syndrome. of listeners out there who have this syndrome mm-hmm. called polycystic ovary syndrome, and they are at an increased risk for developing diabetes. Yes, they are, and uh, and also just those individuals. I guess this is kind of their. They kind of go together the people who have been designated as having metabolic syndrome mm-hmm. um, because those people are also at an increased risk um, when you look at body types too there's kind of a little bit of a you know the apple and the centripetal there's a waist size risk yes there's a so so for those people who are more apple than pear the apples are winning Apples over pears. So they say a waist size of greater than 40 inches in men or a waist size greater than 35 inches in women. Increase. Get your risk. measuring tape out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, yeah. that's a, And that so. means you're ca- carrying your weight centrally, as we mm-hmm. call it. So not so much in the hips and legs, obesity. but in the middle, the middle parts. Yes. And we also know that with the change of, with the change of life, that uh, for women... Um, a lot of women tend to start, um, like start to concentrate um, weight gain in that area. So it's just something to think about as we continue to age. We talk about how increasing age also increases your risk, um, but the other thing is your distribution of your body fat and your weight um, also contributes as well. 
This is Diabetes Awareness Month, and we want to try to increase awareness with all of you guys out there. Since we know that such a high number of people in our country with diabetes actually don't even know that they have diabetes. Dr. Owens gave that statistic earlier, and it's shocking. Yeah, and even with the pre-diabetes that Dr. Uh, Dr. Brown was talking about, 80% of those folks don't know of the pre-diabetes. The pre-diabetes. Mm-hmm. So what is the definition of pre-diabetes versus diabetes? Well, in large part, that has to do with um, uh blood tests that are done. So uh, fasting glucose. So having your blood sugar tested at a time when you have not eaten or drank anything for the past at least eight hours or so. So a fasting glucose value of 100 or less than 100, excuse me, um, is what is considered normal. So there are different lab values and different units um, depending on the laboratory. But in general, we do measure them um, as milligrams per deciliter. So less than 100 Milligrams per deciliter means that your blood sugar is normal. Pre-diabetes is when your blood sugar measures between 100 and 125. And then actual diabetes is diagnosed once a patient has a fasting blood sugar of uh, greater than or equal to 126. So you can see there's not a whole lot of slide between these two. These numbers are kind of close together. So it makes a big difference to know your numbers and have them monitored and checked. And then we talked about that other blood test called the hemoglobin A1C which glycosylated is hemoglobin. the glycosylated That's what she hemoglobin. said. You said the G word. The G word. I had so, to throw it out there again. Well, you know, when you measure a fasting uh, glucose, it's a snapshot of that Absolutely. moment in time, right? It's Polaroid. what you, yeah, that's right. So it's, it is the level at that time when the blood is drawn of how much sugar you had in your blood. When we, so you might wonder what the difference between the two tests is. The hemoglobin A1C is more of a measure of the past three months or so of your blood sugar control. Yeah. So So it kind of gives us an idea about mm -hmm. how well things have been controlled over time as opposed to that finger stick or that that isolated blood glucose that tells us what it looks like today. So you might be a person who ate a Krispy Kreme donut before you came into the office and then they check your glucose and your sugar is high. It's 200, we'll just say. Um, but you might have not had a Krispy Kreme donut multiple times over the past three months, and it, you might have had pretty great glucose control. So you come in, you get caught because you had that donut along with a, I don't know, Mountain Dew or something, and Ooh. your glucose is high. I'm giving you all the sugary things. And then, um, but, but when they check the A1C, your A1C might reflect a much lower blood glucose level if your blood sugars have been pretty much controlled. So it's a really good tool to kind of help monitor people as they are going through their therapy. And so we got a couple of minutes left, and we haven't really spent a lot of time um, talking about the different therapeutic options, but there are so many different options. Um, and they basically fall into oral therapy pills um, or injections, which is insulin, right? Because we talked about how um, the absence of insulin or needing additional insulin may be necessary in order for you to effectively utilize the glucose that you have made available in your blood. And so um, lots of different ways for that to be treated. Um, In pregnancy, we actually use both. You can either be treated with insulin or treated with with oral medications or with pills. Um, And it really just depends on, you know, how high your glucoses are will kind of determine what therapies are the best. Um, and there are so, oh my gosh, there's so many different 
types of medicines for diabetes right now um, that um, and even some newer meds um, mm-hmm. that are that are coming out on the market that are really doing some amazing things. And also, look, a little side benefit is you, they usually give you you get a little weight loss um, when your glucoses are controlled if they've not been controlled. And then all of a sudden you start controlling your glucoses and you're a little bit more active then you'll be surprised you get the added benefit or the added bonus of a little extra weight loss as well. Unintended consequence, but it's still nice. Yeah, and in addition to these oral therapies, there are lots of innovations out there regarding the monitoring and delivery of insulin. So it's like the old days where you had to prick your finger and then give yourself shots. Um, That's kind of the more integrated approach now. There are lots of high-tech things that will measure your blood glucose and administer the insulin without Mm -hmm. you even really realizing it's going on. Yeah, because you can do it like through pumps. Mm -hmm. And then they have um, continuous glucose monitoring. So it's like you just put it there and it's continually monitoring your numbers. Um, So, yeah, it is. it's, it's, It's really exciting to think about how far we've come in, you know, just the breadth and depth of therapeutic options and ways to make this a much more um, livable um, condition as opposed to just sheer misery. Do y'all know how I feel about needles? So like, and that to me is like sheer misery. <laughs> yeah, ultimately. I, and look, and diabetes is all over my family. So like I am like, so that's one of those things that I'm just sitting back waiting because um and I will say, since we have a couple of minutes left, a couple of seconds left before we before we wrap, um, diabetes is always a special conversation for me because um, I feel like had it not been for diabetes, I probably might not have been as um, excited about medicine or had the introduction to medicine that I had. My grandmother um, was a diabetic, Lucille McKenzie, and she died at a very young age from complications from her diabetes. But that was one of my first interactions with a physician-patient relationship and with a person who really interacted or engaged with the healthcare system. And I saw the importance of, um, of that and that relationship. And it was very important and central to me choosing to pursue a career in medicine. So I just want to say that shout out to my grandma. Shout out, Lucille. I know, my grandma. I miss you so much. Um, Gone but not forgotten. So, guys, you hear the music? It's going to be a lovely day. I hope you have a lovely day. Have a a lovely weekend. Um, Today's Southern Remedy was produced and engineered by none other than Jay White. Why? Because everybody else is at home having a vacation day. With Dr. Ellie Brown, I'm Dr. Michelle Owens. Thank you guys so much for being with us. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women. You guys know that this is a production of MPB Think Radio and funding is provided in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and support from listeners just like you. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.